I'm Jasmine, a certified transformational coach with over three decades of experience helping people realize their goals and host of Coaching Community Changes, a podcast designed to inspire new leaders with stories of community changes and coaching tips. Hello. Hello, David. How are you? I am good. I am good. How are you? I am great. Welcome to Coaching Community Changes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, sir, you definitely are a community changer. When I saw your profile on LinkedIn, we're in a a conversation chat together and I saw hip hop and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Hip hop and education, not something that you often see together. Would you share a little bit about how you came to uh, use hip hop as an educator? Well, yeah, that's and that's part of the reason why I chose the two, because my my mission is about destigmatizing hip hop to use in education and just public consumption. Hip hop has so many negative connotations, but the way it started is I'm I'm a child of hip hop all through my life. Hip hop has been around me. It's, It's my culture and going more than just the entertainment value of it. There's so there's so much of hip hop that is positive. If people really do the research and they see the original pillars that hip hop was built upon, peace, love, having fun, like unity, knowledge, those were the first pillars of hip hop when it started. Of course, it's 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 something entirely different as far as entertainment and just the the negative aspects. But when you really break hip hop down, it really is about community building and being resilient, going through the struggle. So yeah, it those are the songs and lyrics that resonated with me. And the songs that I've referenced in my book were songs that helped me through difficult situations. And I in turn used them to help my friends. And since I'm an educator, I knew these lyrics could help my students as well going through similar situations. That's great. Have other educators been receptive to the use of hip hop? as a teaching tool. Yes, and I would I would say very much so. I've had educators in my school district that wanted to use some of my material. I've done professional development across the country with people wanting to learn more because they understand the importance of being culturally responsive. If you have a school or school district that's primarily black and brown, maybe the the material that you purchase, and maybe this is subconsciously, the materials that you purchase or the, the programs you try to implement, they don't they don't speak to your children's interest cultures, or I should say interests or cultures. So why not use what we know the kids are already listening to? Hip hop is the culture of the youth. So yes, many educators across the country and actually the world have been receptive to to hip hop and education, there's a whole movement and I, I'm not even gonna call it a movement because it's not a trend in my opinion because I've been doing this for, for as long as I can remember, connecting songs and lyrics to academic things to help me remember. So it's a technique I've been using my whole life, honestly. Great, you know, as you said, connecting songs, we think of the Schoolhouse Rock mm, It's yeah. something that- people often equate to putting music to academic principles. 
that they're trying to memorize. Have you noticed uh, a change in children's attitudes when they are exposed to hip hop as an educational tool? I would say 100%. So not only do I use this in, in the schools that I work with, but I also do a lot of partnering with nonprofit organizations. So this one in particular, we have children that are part of the Department of Juvenile Justice System. So these are kids that have gotten in trouble, whether they're on ankle monitors or serving some kind of probation. So I was I was called to work with a group of those young people. And I, this one, one gentleman, of course, we're not gonna say any names, but he, he would bring his bandana initially because he wanted everybody to know I'm a gangbanger, you know, I'm hard, I'm, I'm this and that. So through, through 10 weeks of working with this young person, when we got to the graduation, he spoke and said, this really changed my life. It was one of the chapters in particular that talks about conflict resolution. So the lyric that I use is from the rapper Fabulous. And it says, beef is only good when you're in the burger business. So the chapter talks about when you're in beef and when you have conflict with others, you know, they might not just try to hurt you. They might try to hurt your family members, people that you care about. And he said that chapter really resonated with him because of his, his lifestyle of being in a gang and whatnot. So for that kind of testimony from a young person, yes, I can say 100%, this, this is the way we should be doing things. Great. And just to clarify, when you use the term beef in that context, you're talking about conflict, correct? 100%, yes. Right. Because, again, we understand that language is often makes sense within a cultural context. And so we want to be sure that everyone is understanding what is being said. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. During the 10-week program that you did with these young people, did how often were you meeting with them and what was the kind of structure of the program we would meet once a week for about an hour and 30 to two hours so they would be doing um journaling prior to me coming there but then when i got there i was a lot of my time to you know do my um another thing that i like to do as well is the connection before the content. So we would always meet on a Wednesday. So I would always ask my students, what was a win for you? Or what was a positive thing that happened from the last time we meet, met to this week? So it always started off on just trying to build the positivity, try to create that community. So it would always be what was the win for the week or the last time I seen you? And then we would get into the, the book in that combination of hip hop lyrics and social emotional learning. Great, thank you. That I, I believe is such an important thing that you just mentioned, right? Asking them for a win, them going through the week, knowing that they have to be on the lookout for a win because there's an expectation that they're going to report. A hundred percent. And it, I mean, it's everything, or my, I'm not gonna say everything, but I try to be attentional with everything that I do regarding the young people. So in my book, every chapter has this one line in it, and it's, you have greatness inside of you. So if I'm asking you for your wins, I want to, I want to reiterate that greatness. I want to always remind you and just build it up that you can do great things. You can accomplish great things. So 
if if you're saying you're you have greatness inside of you, that means your self confidence should be high. And if you're doing the right things, if you have this greatness, there should always be a win for you in in the past seven days, and then in the following seven days that that go after that, there should always there will, there should be constant wins in your life when you're on that right path. So in 15 to 20 hours, young men, like the, the young man that you mentioned, come in with a, a bandana, declaring that I'm hard, declaring that I'm part of a gang, and then transitioning after 20 hours and the, the self-work as well, into someone who can review his thoughts and reflect on how his actions impact others. Absolutely. It's, and that's the thing. We, and this, is, this will be my challenge to everybody listening to this podcast, to all educators. We, we talk about this big drive for social emotional learning now. Oh, you know, because of the pandemic, kids didn't have the, the social piece. No, we should always constantly be working on social emotional learning. And with that being the case, it can't just be a little block of the day. I feel like social emotional learning should be its own elective. We should be working on policies to say, hey, as, and I know math, reading, science, social studies, those are very important as well to the idea and institution of school. But if we're talking about looking at the whole child, we need students, we need young people, and we need adults even going beyond that, that know how to recognize their emotions, that can deal with conflict appropriately, that know how to, to, to set goals and go after them. So saying we're going to do 30 minutes a day for these life skills is not enough. And I'm really trying to champion social emotional learning, life skills, those kind of trainings and programs being more than just a few blocks or a few minutes of the day. Thank you. I think it's interesting that you reference that the importance of even adults being able to identify their emotions. Yeah. When, when you speak of social emotional learning, specifically, what are some of the things that you or the objectives of those kind of programs? All right. So if, if people aren't familiar and if you're in education, you definitely, definitely know the thing I'm about to say. So CASEL is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. I believe they're based out of Chicago, but they've done extensive research on um, what they call the CASEL 5. So that would be self-awareness, um, social awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making, and relationship skills. So those are the, the five main, um, I would say, touch points on social emotional learning. But within those touch points, there's so many skills that we can focus on. So I'll give you an example. So for self-management, like I said earlier, goal setting, because if, if you don't have any direction, what like what gets you, what gets you motivated? How are you moving to anything if there's no direction? So setting short and long-term goals and then having the self-confidence, having the self-motivation to go after that, like it, it is so vital. And even saying social emotional learning, we can look at it from the, the corporate or adult standpoint, because what we call emotional intelligence is basically the same thing. I don't even see a difference between it. Social emotional learning for the, the kids and the youth 
is the same thing as emotional emotional intelligence for adults. Great. Thank you for explaining that because there are parents out there who are listening to this and thinking, how can I help my child? Yes, I know uh, the school has all of these catchy terms, but these terms are foreign to me. Mm. Um, Social emotional learning. That's not something that they discussed while I was in school. So what are some pointers that you can give to parents um, to integrate that into the home life? All right. Well, let me say this first, because you brought up a really good point. And I'm sure this is this is an issue that schools face across the country. We do not do a great job of parent engagement. I'm, I'm sure there's some schools doing a fantastic job. But for the most part, there there is much to be desired with schools really collaborating with parents. Like you said, for the parents listening out there. If your school doesn't reach out constantly and let you know what's going on, then they're really doing a disservice. There should be more communication between schools, families, stakeholders, all of that. We school really should be the the genesis of the community wherever you are, wherever you are at. But for parents, of course, I, the easiest thing is get on get on your web browser. You know, Google is an amazing tool. YouTube University. There's so much information out there regarding social emotional learning and ways that you can integrate it into the home life as you just stated but even your people are doing social emotional learning things and strategies and skills without even knowing it when you're spending time with your 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 son or your daughter or you know your your child that goes to relationship skills just spending that time you know when they do something and you say thank you that's teaching them how to the the concept of gratitude so we do these skills innately and this is the thing, like we, we try to put fancy names on it, like you said, use that jargon. But these are things that happen each and every day, a million times over. It's just, can we be intentional about, you know, placing more emphasis on it to say, hey, these are why these skills are important, because you're going to have to interact with people regardless. If you work in an IT, you still got to be able to work with another team or a, a business or organization. So, like I said, these these are life skills. So vital to everybody's success. Thank you. And that's reassuring. I think so often school can be an intimidating place for parents, um, especially those parents who are overworked. Or if you're a single parent, it feels like one more thing that you have to do. So letting them know that spending time in conversation, eating together, expressing gratitude, and maybe going one step further and naming those actions is a helpful way of bringing in, as you said, the castle five yeah. to the home. Now, you referenced your book, and I'm really excited about reading it. How can parents, or is it designed in a way that parents can get the book and use it at home? Oh, definitely. So the book is on Amazon and the title is Just Like Music, Social Emotional Learning Inspired by Hip Hop. So there's there's really two books. The main book would be like the te- what we would call in education, the teacher's facilitation guide. 
So it has the lyrical breakdown, but it also has the lesson plan for the, the youth to go through. Then there's a student workbook. So that would be more for the participant where they can write down the vocabulary words and they also have the same lyrical breakdown. But all the activities necessary are in the student workbook. And I've even also created a facilitator's PowerPoint. So whether that be a teacher in a school, a leader at the community center or a parent, if you email me, and I'm sure you can attach the email to the episode, I will send you the teacher's facilitation PowerPoint. So a parent could do it. Like I said, a community member, a com community member at a recreational center, and many educators across the country have have been doing this work, doing my program and curriculum. So yes, it is it is easy to implement. And this is the thing that I say in the preface of the book: if you're going to facilitate it you should read the book and do the activities yourself first. Because the first chapter, the activity is creating a, a vision board. Just think of how powerful a moment it would be when you have your child or when you have your students working on their vision board, and then you can have a conversation about the vision board you created. So it's, it's also taking that restorative approach of doing things with your child, doing things with your students versus to or for them. Wow, wow. You know, uh, you said a lot right there. I'm a big fan of vision boards. But before I address that, because some people may not know what a vision board is, you said doing with, and you emphasize the with rather than the four or two. Would you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's, that is the the best way to build relationships that's the best way to have you know people just be on your side as far as leadership we've all had leaders who simply delegated and maybe you don't feel appreciated even though there's a little power dynamic in a teacher student relationship or a parent to their child relationship imagine doing it with them you know the best way to learn is to show not just to tell you know, so doing things with your child, doing things with your students to let them know, hey, I'm here with you every step of the way, that goes to build a stronger relationship. And then if they do have questions, you're right there with them to, to just be their guide, be their accountability coach, be their parent, be their, that teacher that they'll always remember, even when they leave the schoolhouse. So I think that that with concept, that, that is so powerful. Great, thank you. You know, and, and just to add to what you said, I think if you ever question whether you're doing something with someone or for someone, ask yourself whose hands are on the task? Mm, yes. Right, because if you are really doing something with somebody and you're teaching somebody something, their hand should be on the mouse. Their hand should be on the scissors. Their hand should be on the instruments necessary to complete the task. If your hand is on the, the scissors, the mouse, the instrument, then there's a pretty good chance that you're the one that's doing it for them yes. and interrupting uh, that experience for them. So right. thank you. Would you share with us uh, a little bit about a vision board, the purpose of it and how an individual would go about creating one for those yeah. who don't know what a vision board is. Absolutely. So I, I don't think, I mean, vision boards have been around for, for as long as I can remember, but 
through my learning, the way I look at vision boards now is a book entitled As a Man Thinketh. And I believe the author is James Allen. And the whole premise is our subconscious thoughts or the things that we think about, we manifest them. So uh, give, give an example. If you have negative thoughts about an individual, pay attention to the way your actions are towards them. They're not going to be of the warm, loving type. So your thoughts really manifest in reality. So taking it back to the vision board, what we want children to do, or not, not even just children, what we want people to do is to manifest their greatness. Going back to the book, you have greatness inside of you. So a vision board essentially is you take images, words, phrases from magazines, internet, if you could print it out, whatever. If you can draw, if you have that skill, you draw it on a board, whether it be a poster board or a wood board or whatever. You put positive quotes, you put anything that you see for yourself, your vision, that first creation, that mental image. So for um, the children that do my program, that first chapter, I ask them to put things, put goals that they have for their personal life and their academic life because of course we want kids to go to school and we think that's all they have to do because no once you become an adult you have to be skilled at balance so you have your work life then you have your personal life so same thing for for the children that i work with i want them to know that hey i just don't see you as a student id number i just don't see you for your gpa no what are your interests what are some personal goals that you have in your life so they they would depict that on the poster board or there's a way you can do it virtually um, via canva.com where you can put any image and put it on your board. So I would have students put their personal and academic goals and then we have conversations about how do we achieve those things. And that's powerful because truth be told, we don't think in words. Often we think in images. Mm, yes. And that serves as a magnet. Um, and there's power in having it in a high profile place, but there's also power in just completing the activity. Yes, manifestation is real. And going back, as you think of it, if you're saying, hey, I'm going to make the honor roll or hey, I'm going to you know, accomplish whatever goal it is, you first have to think it. You can't, you know, it doesn't just pop out of thin air. You have to think it now. You have to match your actions each and every day, each and every moment until you accomplish that goal. So, yes, just just going through the activity of creating a vision board is manifestation at its finest. Right. You know, I think sometimes people hear the word manifestation and they think that it simply means, oh, I have a thought and I sit around and I think about it. But it's about creating a vision. Right. The Bible says uh, have a vision, make it plain, write it down. Mm. And so writing it down, creating that physical memory of what it is you want. It's surprising how the mind will be drawn to a thing. Uh, we had an activity once at work where we were asked to write out our goals, wrote it out and we had to submit it. Didn't look at it again. But at the end of that year, I realized that I had hit all of those goals because I had an internal destination. Mm. and had set my GPS for a particular outcome. Yes. And you made me think of another uh, Bible verse when you said that um, regarding vision. I can't tell you the, the chapter or what book, but I know it goes, um, when there is no vision, the people perish. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, having, like you said, setting that internal GPS on something, 
to get you on that right path, you have to have a goal. You have to have a vision of something or you'll just be floating through life. And that's not the life you want to live once you get to your, your deathbed and said, man, I wasted a lot of time or I could have done so much more. Absolutely. Do you notice a difference uh, when young people come in? I'm sure not all of them have heard of a vision board and you propose to them that they put together this vision board. Do you meet with much resistance? No, I mean, so here's the thing. Whether you are giving a lesson, whatever the case may be when you're dealing with young people, let me let me preface it by saying that. Everything that you do should be predicated on building a relationship. So the first time I meet with children, we don't do any content. It's me simply getting to know them because you have to build a relationship. And once you build a relationship, you've built that equity. I, there's really not that much resistance. And I, I'm, this is my message to educators in K-12 because once again, like I feel like we don't do the best job with building our parent engagement. We don't do a great job of building relationships. And I mean, those classroom teachers, we're so focused on the content and the curriculum. And I understand how important that is, but there needs to be equal, equal, equal amount of time of building that relationship because then the kids will try for you when they, when they get stopped with, with a hard concept, they know, Oh, Mr. Spellman believes in me. You know, he's built a relationship with me. I'm going to try to, to get it done for him. So I, I get no resistance when it comes to the activities because I, I try to do a really good job of building relationships with the kids that I interact with. That's powerful. And I like the choice of words, equity. You're about equity um, because it implies that you can pull on it at a later date. Yes. Yes, it's, it's a concept I've read. It's like, it's called the emotional bank account. And it was more so dealing with your interpersonal relationships. And if you keep, you know, putting your spouse down or, you know, whatever the case may be, saying negative things, and you wonder why that relationship doesn't last because you never put any deposits in. Same thing with our students. You wonder why the kids shut down. When do you ever build with the kid? We always call home when they do something wrong. We always redirect them for the undesired behaviors but if we really sit down and think when do we ever build up the kids not to say oh they're being quiet good job that's not building that's enforced compliance but when they do something how do we build them up and we don't we don't do that enough and that goes directly to to that equity piece if i've built and put a lot of deposits in a student by building that relationship on those times when i may have to redirect them or they're having a bad day that's going to really hold hold some weight because of the equity and those deposits I've put in. So I might have to make a withdrawal, you know, by, by redirecting or we have a, a power struggle in that moment because nobody's impervious to that. But it's like the relationship won't be tarnished because of the equity we've already built. Wow. What if you were speaking to a new classroom teacher? who had the theory down packed, knew his or her lesson content. What are three things that you could share with them in terms of building relationship equity with the students? Mm, that's a really good question. Three things, three things. Or, or even just two. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you three. You ask for three, you will get three. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, 
<laughs> the first thing I would say to a new teacher in regards to building relationships, you have to really honor your students' culture. Now, and, and when I say that, it's not just oh, an African-American, Latino, Asian, you know, white culture. It's their culture of the young people. So a lot of times, you know, you hear that um, that saying when you're talking to the kids, oh, you don't know about this or, you know, you know, like if I'm, if I'm the older individual and I'll talk to younger people, oh, y'all don't know about this. You can't have those kind of conversations. You have to really ingratiate yourself to your students. So you need to know what the culture of the young people is. And that's why I had to put that qualifier, not just black culture, not just Latino culture. No. What is the culture of your of your students, of your classroom? Because I could have three different black students that can have three different experiences in life. So you got to know the culture of those unique individuals in, in your classroom. That is your community. So definitely you have to know the culture of your of your classroom, of your students. But then how do your students know that you care about them? How do you know that your students care about you? Because kids can, they, they know when somebody's not being authentic to them or with them. So I would definitely say, how do your students know? If I were to pull your students, hey, does Miss Jasmine, how does Miss Jasmine feel about you? And kids will tell you straight away if they feel like you care about them or no, she doesn't like me. Kids will tell you straight away. So you have to, you have to let your, you need to show your kids that you care about them. And then the last thing, you have to be, I, and I, this is one of the things I kind of hang my hat on. You have to be different. And I say different in a sense of an unorthodox, an unorthodox educator, different from the norm. Depending on when you meet your students, I'm sure your students have lived the same educational year from kindergarten to whenever you meet them because education is such a creature of habit. So let you be the educator that's a little quirky. Let you be the educator that's incorporating their culture into the curriculum. If you're different, the kids will remember you for a lifetime. And I say that for educators I've had in my personal life and just conversations I've had with my peers and colleagues and even talking to the kids when I ask them, you know, who's your favorite teacher? And they say, oh, Mrs. Smith, why was Mrs. Smith your favorite teacher? And they will tell you whether it's been the previous year or if it's been multiple years in the past because they brought something different to the table, along with showing them that they cared and knowing their culture. So I would say those three things for me, for sure, for any new educator. Well, thank you. Those are really helpful points because I think sometimes people have a desire to show up, uh, but making connection with children sometimes can be challenging because as intimidating as teachers may appear at times to parents or to students, I think we often forget that uh, to be faced with 20 or 30 uh, students can be also intimidating for teachers. Mm, agreed, agreed. Right, and so uh, exercising empathy on both sides is helpful. Yeah, and when you're authentic with your students, they'll they'll see that. Like I've seen times where 
kids ask about a teacher's um, child. Like if a teacher missed missed the day of school, the kids are like, you know, what happened? And the teacher is like, hey, my my child was sick, and they're like, oh, well, I thought you, I was your child, but you know that that's the kind of moments that you live for when you're an educator. That the kids and you really have that great relationship. Like you don't when you miss a day, you don't want kids to be like, well, I'm glad he him or her is not here. You want right. kids to miss you because you made such an impact on their life. But yeah, it, it, it definitely goes both ways. It definitely goes both ways. And thank you for pointing out the fact is in any classroom, there are multiple cultures. Yes. And multiple languages. And we're not talking about Spanish or English or Arabic or, you know, Mandarin. We're speaking about the language that speaks to the soul of the individual. Mm, yes, well said. In closing, because you've shared a lot of powerful information with us, if you were given a grant of $10 million, how would you like to use it to further this passion that you have for making um, education more accessible? Ooh, first, I would thank God for that. <laughs> For getting such a great amount of money, but it would really help just the movement. Um, I would be able to do some research studies with professors at universities. Um, also, just creating unique experiences for my children. I'm all about exposure leading to expansion. So if I'm polling my students to say, hey, what are you guys' interests? If I have, it doesn't matter if I have elementary school all the way up to secondary knowing what their interests are, okay, maybe we can we can use that money to do field trips. We can connect with colleges, maybe even bring a celebrity because that's, you know, kids, they drive off attention. So who are get, who's getting the most attention? That's who's getting your kids' kids' eyeballs. So, man, that, it would just lead to so many opportunities for, to do great things for the children, but also just with me on an entrepreneurial, entrepreneur journey, going to different conferences to collaborate with with other educators across the country and the world um just create maybe definitely i didn't even think about this but creating a space of my vision of what education should be and i'll give you an example now when the bell rings you know for class change kids know it's like a pavlov's dog the bell rings you get up you go to your next class why not incorporate some music like when the music starts playing Kids know that's when it's time to go to class, and we, we know we'll we'll talk about it before. But you have you know x amount of minutes to get to class, but just changing the whole paradigm of education. Like a lot of schools, if you really look at them and look at a prison, there's really not a lot of difference. So creating an education educational space that's going to best serve the, the children, like school should not be a representation of a prison of jail. So with with that kind of funding. Man, I could really change the world, honestly, but just so many more opportunities due to the increase in finances to collaborate and just bring that change that, you know, we talk about in, in our little circles and our little silos because we don't have the funds to do X, Y and Z. But $10 million. Yes, the the education system would be rocked to its core if I had anything to say about it. Thank you so much, David, for sharing. And in closing, I like what you said about uh, exposure and expansion, right? I think I'm saying that correctly. Yes. 
That is powerful. And music, right? What if the bell was replaced with different songs throughout the day that moved students through wouldn't, their activities? Wouldn't that be a sight to see? Like, why, well, you know, why are we continuing to do the same things? Like, education looks very much like it did when the concept was developed in, you know, the industrial age. That's a problem. Honestly, that is a problem. It is. But, you know, I appreciate your willingness to speak with us and by raising these points. And the thing is, music is something that can be integrated quite easily over most speaker systems that schools have. So maybe there will be a few profess, uh, professors, principals who say, you know what, that's something that I can do to make a change. Mm. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us ways in which you are coaching community change. Well, thank you for the invitation. And it was a pleasure being on this platform, speaking about community changing. So I appreciate you. Thank you. You're welcome, David. You take care. You as well. So glad you were able to join us and look forward to having you tune in next week when I share my platform with another community changer. Until then, how will you use the information learned this week to take action and become a community changer also? Thank you.